you a parent of a child with autism, just received a diagnosis, just wanting to learn more about it? Bringing Up Autism is a podcast where five AZ moms talk about having children on the spectrum. Come join us as we bring up autism. Hi, everyone. I know it's been a minute. Um, but it's just us, Matilda, Dina, and Laura today, as the other girls have some stuff going on. And congratulations to Teresa, because her, her daughter is getting married, actually. And this week, we're going to be talking about the education process of going to school and getting an IEP and all of that. Since I am just at the beginning of my journey of the IEP process, I wanted to see what Laura and Dina had to say about it. If you want to talk a about a little bit about that, Laura? Oh, Lord. I don't know as much about IEPs from like a, a teacher standpoint because I'm not in special education, but I know that I have students that are on IEPs and my own son has been on an IEP for about a year now. So what I know is what I have learned through his process and just me as a teacher, what I have to do when I have a kid with an IEP. So for those that don't know what IEPs are, they're individualized education plans, and they are for kids that have specific learning disabilities that need extra help to get caught up to where they need to be in order to be successful. So my son got one almost instantaneously because of his autism and ADHD diagnosis. He qualified. He had to so first we took him to Melmed and got him the diagnosis, which we talked about in the first episode. And then um, I reached out to AZEIP and he was about to turn three. So they were going to turn me away and they said, go to your school district. So we live in the Glendale Elementary School District. I reached out to their SPED department. Um, he had an initial... I, I don't know if it's really, it's not like an exam, but like a, an evaluation kind of like with his autism. Uh, they did some tests pretty much similar to what Melmed did. And because he did not score as high as they would like, they put him on an IEP and having the official autism diagnosis is what helped with that. Um, so he was put in first a self-contained autism class with kids that were nonverbal. And that didn't work out very well because my son is verbal and likes to socialize with other kids. So being in that room was actually not as great for him because he couldn't thrive. He didn't have that interaction that he needed. Um, so he stayed there for a little bit. Then they moved him over to the other special ed classroom with, with kids that were more at his level, like the verbal. Um, they had little more meltdowns like Ryland does, but he loves to talk to kids. But this year we just had his IEP meeting actually this last Friday. Um, and we went over the goals that they had set last year. He met almost all of them. He has two goals that they're working on this year, but he will, as of Monday, when we all go back to work, he will be in a general education preschool um, and still have an IEP, but they're going to be on a consult basis. So they will come in and check on him or work with him if I have concerns. But other than that, they're just going to be there as support if, if he needs it. So it's basically just 
extra therapies that they're going to get during the day. Um, things that we as teachers have to use for those kids to be successful. So if I have a kid who comes in with an IEP and they need some kind of testing accommodation where they have to test by themselves, we have to honor that. And that student is allowed to leave the classroom for testing. Um, other, other things would be student needs constant redirection, or you need to make sure that that student hears you before you finish a sentence or, um, devices that help them. So I have some kids that need fidget spinners in order to focus because they are so hyperactive that if they don't have something to fidget with, they're going to be running around the classroom and they're not going to be able to focus. So it's basically something for the individual that's either really, really, really behind in reading or writing or has the diagnosis like our kids do um, to help them be successful in school and allowing the extra one-on-one kind of things that they need. So my son has occupational therapy, which is now on a consult basis, speech, which is now on a consult basis, but he's going to be getting continuous social emotional help because that's what he's struggling with. It's the relations of, I can't steal this toy from this other kid because I want it now. I'm I'm not going to wait my turn or, you know, just my son needs constant reminders when he's in the bathroom, make sure you wash your hands. So it's just a way for kids with certain diagnoses or really, really behind academically to get that help that they need. And they have to be given those accommodations. It's not like, oh, it's an IEP. I'll look at it sometimes. Like by law, as teachers, we are required to read the IEPs, know about the students and how they can be successful. And if we have a student who's failing and they have an IEP, the only way we can fail them or give them a really low grade is if we have actually read the IEP, given them their accommodations, and it's still not helping. So IEPs are pretty much a, you have to do this for the student and you can't give them a bad grade if you haven't tried this. So they're really helpful and they're really good to have, especially if your student is not where they should be in school. It's really helped Rylan and he's blossomed from it. I mean, just how much extra work he's gotten. So I love his IEP. I hope he stays on it, but I've heard by the age of eight, some kids don't need IEPs anymore. But if you can get an IEP, it's one of the best things you could do for your kid. What he gets um, that extra time. What grade was he in preschool when you got the IEP? Uh, yes. So I had him tested. He had just turned three. Um, and because he did go into that evaluation, that's the word that I was looking for, the evaluation with the preschool, and he did qualify, he was able to start preschool at three. Oh, I so see. he's okay. actually been in preschool. Let's see. He turned three in September. He started his preschool in November of that same year. And so we just had his IEP this last Friday because that's, that was the time we had his IEP meeting. The first time was like October 7th, something like that. Yeah. But he didn't start preschool until a month later. So yeah, he was able to start when he was three, which was good. That really helped us. He needed it as early as possible. And that was interesting that you were talking about how he was put into a nonverbal kind of classroom. And I didn't know that was a thing. I thought they just had like everybody or all of like the autism kids together. No. So with Glendale Elementary, they have 
stages, I guess you could say. Um, they have a really, really, really self-contained room with kids. I guess some of the kids in his morning class were verbal, mm. but three quarters of them were not. So maybe he had yeah. two or three kids he could converse with, but all the kids in the afternoon were completely nonverbal. And so she's like, we're not going to put him in that room because he needs to have conversations and these kids won't be able to communicate with yeah. him. So then the the teacher was like, I don't know why they put him in my room. He doesn't need this. Yeah. And- you know, she was also his case manager, so she's still his case manager. But she's like, this room, this room is not good for him. This is stifling him. Let's move him over to the next room. And he did really well in there. But now it's getting to the point where he's kind of outgrown that classroom as well. And yeah. so they're like, let's just put him in the general education classroom and see how he works in there. And I guess he's been doing really well, but he just needs that interaction with the kids and so i think putting him in the general education classroom will really help mm-hmm. i don't yeah i don't know why they put him in the nonverbal. probably because that's what was available and they didn't know his level they were going off of the test results oh i see okay um you know this is how we tested in so we're gonna do this and you know that was that was a weird time i was on break from school and we had just figured out what this was and he was he was hyper. He was running around all over the place. Yeah. So they didn't, they tested him. And from what they saw in the tests, they assumed this is where he needed to be, but they moved him. They moved him to where they thought after like a month, they're like, nah, this room's way, way, way below where he needs to be. Let's move him up. So they'll at least watch out for your kid and say, nah, I think, you know, he or she needs to go here, which is great. Right. I mean, I've been told that Glendale elementary's, Sped department is really good. So I'm just working with them. He's got one year left and we'll see if he can test into kindergarten or he has to stay where he's at. But that IEP I think is the only reason why he's doing so well because he was able to start a year before most kids can. Right. Yeah. I just got me thinking how I know that my son is nonverbal and like, mm-hmm. I, do they do better with other nonverbal children? I just don't know. Like, how he would do it like that or because I would think that they would work better or at least try to learn more if, if other kids are like trying to talk to them or communicate right. with them. but I'm not sure if that's the case or not yeah I think they group them in classes like that so then the teacher has specific you know ways of teaching the kids so I think the way oh, that they have okay. it is they have the classroom with most of the nonverbal students then they have classroom where they're they're verbal but they're mm-hmm. developed like severely developmentally delayed yeah. And then they have the gen ed where these are kids that just, you know, get services as needed. But I don't know if it's just they group them that way. So then the teacher has specific time that she could do yeah. with each kid. Because um, they're not know. like That's big ratio question. classes, are they? Like they have no, so I many think, students to one teacher? Yeah, I think his first class was like eight kids, six or eight kids. Oh, that's, his not, second class, that's not bad. Yeah, his second class was 11. And then I think the new class he's moving to is like 18 or 19 because it's general mm-hmm. ed. So, yeah, I think they just group them by ability level. I don't know. I, you would think that ha- yeah. having a kid be talked to would help. So I don't know what their reasoning is behind that. But I'm not in special education to really know. So I just, for the, I teach band the and IEP process, <laughs> we, um, I was told it's like a, a three-step process where you have three appointments. Yeah. So we just did our first one where okay. um, 
we went in and there are like six different people there. Like there's OT, speech, um, physical therapy, the school psychologist, like everybody was there Mm -hmm. and they had me fill out um, like a questionnaire online saying like, what are all the things he can and can't do? Like, oh, if he can, is he, is he like a texture kid? Is he like sensory? Can he do this? Like a lot of the questions they asked me, like they would put a zero for no and one for yes, but most of them okay. were zeros. Like he couldn't okay. do like, they said, can he like stack six blocks high? No, like he can't do that. Okay. Can he walk backwards for a certain amount of feet? Like, no, he can't do that. Or can he imaginary play? Like, no, he can't do that. And like mm-hmm. basically everything they asked was a zero. So like it was, okay. I, I'm pretty sure because at the end he she would was qualify like, then. He but that's what I was saying. Sure. That's what she said at the end. Oh, we'll we'll let you know at the next meeting if he qualifies. I'm like, there's no way that he doesn't. I can tell you this. Stuff. My son, mm-hmm. uh, we went in for ours. We had the same amount of people. He had an assessment by the physical therapist. She's like, oh, your your kid does not need physical therapy services. This kid knows how to run, jump, and kick. <laughs> I have no problem <laughs> with that. And he's still qualified. They yeah. turned him down for physical therapy because that, that wasn't his issues. But yeah. then- they got to the occupational therapy, which is the, can he stack the blocks? Can yeah. he write with a pencil? Can he mm. color? Scored really, really well on that. Yeah. They were asking him questions about, you know, social emotional, and he scored really low on that. So he passed through physical therapy, but he, you know, I mean, speech, they said he was, he was okay. Like he was yeah. where he needed to be, but he's still qualified. So okay. I wouldn't think you wouldn't qualify, but. I don't know, depending on where your kid goes to school, yeah, what their requirements sense. are. So he doesn't have to, like, qualify for everything that, that they're there for, like speech, OT, physical therapy. If you have the the actual autism diagnosis, mm-hmm. they need to have that on file. Like, I brought my copies of the moment. Oh, Med yeah, Center I sent that. Yeah, I sent diagnosis. it over, and they had, like, a printed copy of it. Yep, yep, because that usually is an instant IEP. Regardless, so I that's um I heard different. So for them, they okay. said um with autism with the autism diagnosis, it doesn't automatically qualify them for an IEP until huh. first grade. Interesting. I guess every district's different then, because I know they told me when you have the autism diagnosis, it's very mm-hmm. rare that we'll turn you down. Yeah, because we know that your child's going to need a little extra help. Yeah, but, you know every situation's different. Right. Yeah, he qualified though. For me, when I was going into the whole process, I found out that um, for us, like with with kids that have autism, education usually falls in three groups. There is the regular gen ed, then there is um, specialized schools like the Autism Academy, charter schools that are specifically geared for autistic kids Mm -hmm. or homeschooling. And so I went with the first route, which is um, general ed. And in order to get Sully in there, I found out that there's something called an IEP, an NET, and a 504K. Now, an IEP is an individualized educational plan, um, where the 504K is like it's geared towards ensuring a student has, you know, the equitable access to a learning environment. The difference between them is that the IEP focuses on educational benefits, like if he needs direct services like speech, PT, OT, um, stuff like that, where the 504K, um, it's not 
specified, you know, it doesn't go into detail one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, the, all the goals that are geared towards your child. Both of them, your child can get them both at the same time if you want. He can have a 504k and an IEP. They both last till like high school where the 504, the difference between the IEP, the IEP stops, I think, like at the end of high school, at the end of 12th grade. 504k carries on to college. So you could carry that on to college. Um, depending on the district that you're in, in Arizona, um, you can start as, old, as early as three years old to get your kid in an IEP. Um, just like Laura said, when you have an autism diagnosis, it doesn't matter if you have an autism diagnosis, but it's much faster. You get things done a lot faster when you have the, like the autism diagnosis. If you don't have the autism diagnosis, they have a psychiatric um, developmental teacher or um, doctor on board in the school usually that does the evaluation. Because usually your child will go for about two, three months They'll do a hearing test, a vision test. They'll ask you a whole bunch of questions about his like mental, his physical, his cognitive, everything. And then they'll do the tests on him. And after that, they'll sit down with you in a meeting, which is the NET, the IEP. And they'll tell you, this is what we found in your child, one, two, and three. This is what we can help you with. These are the goals that we recommend. Um, and what do you think? Now, if you, you should do your research before you go into that meeting. You should also know your child very well. You should also know the goals that you want from your child because you could go into the meeting. You're going to sit down. There's going to be six, seven people in front of you, and they're all going to bring up goals. Those goals could be great and perfect, but they might not be what you prioritize at the moment or what you see important at the moment. So you need to like educate yourself, know exactly what you want your child, what is important, what you want to focus on and be like, okay, can we bring in this as a goal? Can we focus a little bit on this? Can we do a little bit of this? And it's okay to accept any of the goals as much as it's okay to say no to any of the goals that they provide. They can recommend that, can we give your child a device? You might not be comfortable with the device and say, no, I do not want a device. I was in that situation. My child was nonverbal. My child has the tendency, if you allow him to proceed in whatever behavior he is in, he won't progress. Meaning, he can talk, but he doesn't want to talk. So if I make things easier for him not to talk by giving him a device that talks for him, he's not going to talk. So I refused the device. Yes, at the moment it was helpful. Yes, at the moment, he was going to be understood. He wasn't going to have the tantrums. But I chose to go through the cycle of making it a little bit hard and pushing my child a little extra mile in order for him to talk at the end of the day. But it's all up to you. You have to understand that this plan is what you want as a mom. That is what they want. It's what you want. What you want for your child. And so it's better to go educated. You can bring an advocate. You could also bring a lawyer. Some people bring lawyers to these meetings um, because it's a whole process. It's like a whole process. You have a year um, and they only work on what's in the paper. 
So you better make sure whatever you want for that year is in the paper because you can't change it for another year. Another thing I found out that um, IEPs can work in um, public schools and private schools, you know, not just regular education. Now, private schools, because you don't have the general ed funding or what we would call the public you know, tax money funding, um, they give you access to a scholarship that you have to apply to. The scholarship is called ESA, which is called Empowerment Something Scholarship. I don't know the exact name of it, but it's ESA Empowerment Scholarship. They, you apply for it, you get accepted, it's quarterly based, and they give you a good chunk of money. The money can go anywhere from between 15000 all the way up to 30000 depending on your child, depending on the age, depending on whatever's going around with him. And you can use that money towards a private school. You could also use it towards homeschooling. You could also use it towards any kind of physical activity, meaning karate, material arts, gym- gymnastics, music, piano lessons, um, swimming school. Whatever kind of activity, you could also use it towards material, sensory toys, sensory couches, any type of material. You have access to this huge database that is full of online stores that has everything that you could ever think of for a kid. Headphones, laptops, computers, everything. The only thing that you cannot have when you have the ESA scholarship, you cannot be enrolled in a public school. You can't. You're automatically out. You don't get access to the money. So what I've decided to do this year was, um, Sully was supposed to be in kindergarten. I decided to give him that extra year of therapy, of ABA therapy, and try a little bit of like bringing private daycares, putting him in activities, try to prep him up. When we did the IEP, he was chosen to put in a specialized classroom. And basically they said they choose these classrooms or they put the kids in these classrooms based on their levels. So every kid is put according to his level of autism. So let's say these kids are a level two. He's put with similar kids that have similar behaviors all in the same level of autism. That's how they break down the classrooms. And um, I asked during the meeting, okay, I'm okay with him being in a specialized classroom. It sounded great. Five kids, two children. Every five kids, there's like two children, two um, teachers, I'm sorry. And okay, so when they, do they get in contact with the, what we would call the normal kids? You know, they get in contact with the regular kids. Would there be any interactions? Would they be able to play with each other? Would they be able to meet and have that social interaction? They said no that yes, they might be in the same, like, let's say lunchroom. They might be in the same area, but their table would not interact with the other kids' table, with the other kindergartners. So that was a big no for me because I wanted my kid around kids that were maybe a little bit advanced than him a bit so he could absorb, like, some stuff, learn from them, talk, you know, something like that. So that situation did not work for me. Um, 
but that was totally okay. I got the IEP. I got, I know where my kid's at. I got the diagnosis um, and I moved on. So what I'm trying to say is like, there's so many options out there. There's so many things that for education that you can do for your child. Right now, I'm in the process of finding a private school, a, a private autistic academy school. And so I've been to several, um, like, you know, tours. And one of the things that really surprised me and took me aback is that you would think that autistic schools would have the resources to take care of disruptive behavior because most of our kids have disruptive behavior. Disruptive behavior, meaning tantrums, yelling, it could be spinning, it could be whatever, whatever disruptive behavior it can be. Come to find out that these autistic schools that are supposed to be funded, especially for our kids, they don't, they don't handle that. So if your kid has a disruptive behavior, they will call you to come pick that kid up. And if you do that more than two, three times, you're going to be kicked out of the school. So... I was taken aback and I was like, how could you guys be claiming that you're for autistic kids and you don't support disruptive behavior? Like you're geared for autistic kids. So it felt to me like they chose a group of autistic kids who were somewhat elite, I guess. That's the only way I could like, like word it. Like the elite autistic kids, the ones that are very functional, that have very few behaviors, and they chose that these kids would be for their school. So it's kind of disheartening, kind of disappointing, because that limited your options. Um, so I'm hopefully down that road. Hopefully I'll find something to like soon. I'll keep you guys updated. But that's kind of like my journey so far with it. That's kind of sad, though. I didn't know that. Because I know I've been seeing a lot of like the autistic charter schools popping up around Arizona. So I was like, oh, okay. Like there's a lot more children that are being diagnosed with this. So they're like, there's wanting, there's schools wanting to help with that. But hearing that, it's kind of like, wow, like it just sounds yeah. like they're doing the opposite of that. It is. It's like, yes, we're autistic schools, but guess what? We're only picking a certain group of autistic people, like the very elite autistic people, the one that have no behaviors whatsoever. Like, which is great and everything, but don't advertise yourself as an autistic school then. Right. You know? And you would think, like, with all the ESA money that they're getting, that they would have the means and the funds to resource that and to back it up in their place. So it's kind of disappointing not to see that. Um, but, you know, what are you going to say? Did they actually I, tell you that on the tours? Like you would have to like, if your child mothers, is being disrupted. Mothers that, no, it's mothers. Mothers that actually oh, okay. put their kids in there. Yeah. And their kid like did a couple of disruptive behaviors. And I mean, not like hitting or biting. Like I mean, right. standing on the table. One cried for, I don't know how long. And I guess they, they had her kid kicked out. Wow. Yes. And so it was like, what? That's that's sad. You know, that's sad. Because we're looking out there for different alternatives. Like the problem is right now, autism is so new out there 
that the feedback is so little because everything is just so new. All the schools are new. All the therapies are new. Everything that's popping up is brand new and fresh. And there's not a lot of feedback. And so you are going into an ocean, not really knowing how to swim. And you're trying to find that perfect boat and you don't know which boat to pick. You know, like you have all these options in front of you and you don't know. So you're going and you're clinging on to one boat and trying it for a little bit to find out, oh, it's got a couple of holes in it. It's going to sink after like a half hour. I got to get, get myself out of here. Let's go to the other boat. So it's like trial and error, trial, trial and error. But we're trying our kids, like our kids are like like lab rats, literally. <laughs> like we're trying everything with them. Yeah. And you know, as much as it's great that everybody's getting on board and go for autism and woohoo, we know what autism right now is. But at the same time, as like, okay, as much as we're getting like we need more help. We need people that are more open minded. We need schools that actually support the behaviors of our children. Because unfortunately, yes, most of the autistic kids are very, very smart. They're very smart. But with that smartness and that gift comes something else. It could come anger. It could come disruptive behavior. It could come tantrums. It could, something else is going to come along. It could be not socially there, not socially available. So for you to like kick out kids that have disruptive behavior, you're losing a good chunk of kids that could do something that could go places, you know? Yeah, that's my first time hearing about anything like that. I've seen like advertisements, like when I'm driving on the street about, oh, new like autism charter school, like opening soon. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's really cool. But I haven't really talked to anybody or seen any posts about like, having their kids go there, but that's like kind of really sad. I wanted to, cause I, I was thinking about having my son go to preschool at like a general, like like public school and then transferring over at least to kin from kindergarten to like a charter school or something. But after hearing that, I'm not too sure like what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's hard. Of course we all, I don't know if you guys went to public education. I did. I went to a public school. Mm -hmm. so I don't know what that is. Yeah. Then you have like, um, Okay, so let me break it down. Autism academies, there is about two types. There's a type where the schools, the classrooms are based on intellectual level, not by age. So it could be a classroom elementary, a classroom of high schoolers, a classroom of um, middle school, okay? Mm -hmm. And the middle school classroom could be from ages 10 to 14, where the elementary could be from ages six all the way to 10. Yeah. And the high schoolers can be from 14 all the way to 18, maybe. Mm -hmm. So they're not based on like first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. They're not based on that. That's how the classrooms are. And each classroom, each kid would have like a portfolio of where he's at, what he needs to do. You choose his plan, what you want to focus on, what you want to teach him, and they teach him. It's not general education. There's no exams at the end of the year. There's no levels that he has to pass to proceed. There's none of that. Oh, wow. That's one type. That's one type of autistic school. Like, that's one type of um, system. 
that's where they focus on what you would like to teach your kid. You want to teach him lifestyle. You want to teach him life skills. You want to teach him some of the general ed, go for it. You choose what you want to teach your kid. And you teach him on, on your kid's pace, your kid's level. It takes how many years, no matter how many years he wants to, it wants to take. Yada, yada, yada. That's one type. Another type is more like an edu- like a general ed school. Where there's first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. But at the same time, they individualize the learning techniques based on each kid. And the classrooms are smaller. And we're from five to ten kids and shadows for each kid. And the kids get ABA therapy, PT therapy, speech therapy. That's one school. There's another type of school, which is a coding school. They start kids from when they're little, they introduce them to Minecraft games, and they teach them how to code through the Minecraft game. And your kid graduates from their school when they're in high school, and the only thing they know how to do is some basic life skills, but the major thing that they know is coding. They know how to freaking code. They're like genius coders. That's one type of school. And they teach it through a Minecraft, through games, coders. I have never heard of that. That's crazy. Yes. Now, another type of school is let's, they teach them how to engineer stuff. Like, because, and they believe that, um, you know, autism people can be scientists. So they teach science based stuff. Oh, I've heard of that. It's like STEM. Yes. It's like STEM. It's all STEM. It's all learning through that. That's that type of school. So there's very different types of autism school. It comes down to what you want as a parent. What do you want as Matilda? What do you want as Laura? What do you, what do you see your child can do? What can you see your child in the future do? Um, coding could work for some people. You know, if your kid is not very social, he doesn't talk, he's nonverbal, but he's amazing at games. Mm-hmm. amazing at levels amazing at he can do it all by himself and you know other things don't work for him well why not why not make him a coder and like one day down the road he could just work as a coder and he doesn't need to depend on anything you know what i mean right it depends on you it depends on your child it depends on his level it depends on where you see him and all these options are okay and accessible you know but there's so many options, so many. Even the general ed, there's so many. There's like charter schools, Montessori schools, mm-hmm. um, public schools, Catholic schools. There's so many types of schools. Same thing with autism. Because it's new, there's so many different approaches to it. I'll have to like talk to you more about you, um, like not wanting to give your kid like a communication device because we're actually – like we're almost getting to that start of where like he is not really talking or saying anything. So okay. we're going down the road of wanting a good communication device. But I'm like, I'm like 50, 50. Where, he? uh, he's three and a half now. Oh, okay. So my kid was that age and my kid would do. Ah, ah, ah. Those are the noises that he would make. And depending on what he wants, it depends on the pitch and the whine. Mm-hmm. And he would. Yeah. So that's how my kid was. He would whine and pitch in different levels different ways, different like voices to tell right. me what he wants or if he's angry. And I got used to, oh, this pitch means angry. This pitch means mm-hmm. sad. This pitch means hurt. Yeah. 
And so what I did was, to be honest with you, what taught him to speak was ABA. And I don't know, I don't think you might not need to go through ABA. You can um, go do it through speech. But they use echoing as a way to help him start. So they taught him or they made him become echoic, like echolia. They, they made oh, him I see. get echolia, meaning repeat everything back, say everything back. That's how they, they taught him. So they started out with the sounds of the letters. So they, they would say, A, ah, 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 ah. And they would find something that he's really motivated, like a candy, a chocolate, mm-hmm. something that you know he won't refuse. Okay. And they would put it in front of him and they would say the word. And once he said it, once he started doing any kind of imitation of it, here you go. Oh, I see. My son started in the beginning. I mean, my son loved candy, like little Mm. Skittles. And so he could have a huge bag of Skittles in a whole session. And I didn't care. Like, I literally, excuse my French, did not give a finish. I did not give a finish. Because yeah. he started doing, uh, he didn't say ah all the way. No, he started indicating, okay, he started, because they're going to start picking up the game. They're going to think it's a game. They're going to think it's fun. So they're going to sc- start echoing back. And once yeah. you get them to start echoing back, um, you give them chocolate, you give them the can, you give them whatever the motivator is, and it increases and you decrease the motivator. You know, it's not like it, it stays with them. No, they decrease it. Mm-hmm. And they turn the sounds to letters, to words, to adjectives, to nouns, and they connect it for you. And so my kid went from absolutely nonverbal to right now verbal. He's not perfect. Like if you listen to him right now, he's not perfect. Yeah. But he's talking a little. Like he's talking. How old is he right now? He's he's gonna turn six in November. Okay. So we started this when he was like around your kids age three and a half. So we've had a long journey. Yeah. So he started out with like 40 hours a week of ABA. He used to take 40 hours a week of ABA, two hours of speech every week, plus that 40 hours of ABA, an hour of PT per week, an hour of OT. And I know it's hard. Like my kid, it was hard at first, but he did not nap. We took out naps. So he would wake up from 8 o'clock in the morning. He would sleep 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night. There's absolutely no nap in between. He Did was they? Dog uh, tired. Was it in clinic or in your house? So we started in clinic. And then it gradually moved into the into the. So it started, I mean, I'm sorry, in the house. And then it mm-hmm. gradually moved in the clinic until it was fully in the clinic. Okay. Yeah. There are several ABAs, like ABA centers that I would recommend. Yeah. Um, the top of the list is ABC, Action Behavioral Centers. Absolutely great people. There's no wait list. They accept a lot of insurances. They are amazing. And one of the greatest part about them is that they have a preschool classroom where they help your child prep for kindergarten. So and they teach them to trace letters, numbers, shapes, yada, 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 mm-hmm. but through ABA. What is it called? Action Behavior Centers. Okay. I'm going to write that down. There's cause... another, yeah. 
There's another place called uh, Autism Spectrum Therapy, which is AST. The big difference between Action Behavioral Centers and AST is that AST does not have education-based, meaning they don't have the education classroom. They don't do anything education. They will teach him to talk. Mm-hmm. They will teach him to trace a little, but through ABA, like they can't teach him, oh, let's trace letters. They can't teach ABA in an education way. You, you know what I mean? Like they can't educate him. Yeah. But they can teach him to talk. They could teach him to connect letters. They could teach him shapes. They can teach him a whole bunch of stuff, but it can't be education. So Sully, like up until five, like up until last year, he was great with AST. So he had AST, autism spectrum therapies. But then he got too old. He needs to learn stuff. He needs to progress education wise. Yeah. Action behavior centers were a little bit a better fit at that. My daughter went straight to action behavior centers and she loves it. So those are the two great um, recommendations. We need to do a episode about ABA because there's two types of ABA. Like they're not the same. The approaches are very different. Yeah. Um, Ally, Ally therapies is also another one, another really good one in the Valley. Those are the only three that I can think offhand that approach ABA the way I believe we moms want them to approach ABA. It's not robotic because ABA is usually known for making kids robotic, but there's two schools of ABA. And so there's a school that teaches it like a more robotic without the Mm -hmm. link, without the emotional social link. And then there's an ABA school that teaches through the link socially, emotionally, mentally stuff like that definitely our next episode will be aba because i do want to talk more about that we can talk about aba speech ot have Mm -hmm. all the therapies that are out there we can do therapies it could be like therapies out there because there's so much there's so many therapies oh the one thing i was gonna say was um if you are someone like me where you work full-time and you have a husband that works full-time private schools, private autism academies will not be accessible to you because of their hours. I tried to put Rylan in an autism academy, their hours, I had to pick him up at noon. There was no place for him to go. So it was really hard for me to find things as a working mom. A lot, like I wanted to do a, put him in a Montessori school. Uh Uh-uh. Their hours were the same time I was teaching. So just be aware of that. If you are a working household where both mom and dad works, a lot of those things might not fit your time that you're doing. Okay. That's how it's going to happen. Like I had to accept that and he's in public school and he's thriving. But then again, I am a public school advocate because I teach in a public school. So putting my son in public school is what I wanted to do, but I also tried and their hours for private and the specialized ones just didn't work with my schedule. So be prepared for that. If you can make it work, that's great. I just couldn't because we have grandparents that couldn't pick him up and watch him until I got home. So those were just some struggles that I had with that, but I wanted to put him in one of those schools. So hopefully it'll work for you guys. Okay. Anyway, back to the trivia. It's been a long time, but I think... It has been a while. (laughs) (laughs) The trivia I gave last time, I think was this one. Um, well-known unconventional American poet 
preferred spending time with children rather than adults, lived a secluded life, one of the most important figures in American poetry, Hope is the Thing with Feathers was this person's most famous poem. I think that's the one I did. And if you didn't guess it, the answer to that trivia is Emily Dickinson. One of the most well-known poets out there was said to be considered it. A lot of these people that I'm giving you weren't alive around the time that autism was a thing. So it was just assumed that they have it. And so this is the same thing with my next person. Um, The next person for this week thought to be on the spectrum because his trouble socializing with adults was so apparent that he spent most of his time conversing with children. Um, This led to his story, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And his real name is Charles Ludwig Dodgson and Lewis Carroll is his pseudonym. I, if you are a big reader of Alice in Wonderland, you probably know exactly who this is, but (laughs) he was alive at the time before autism was a thing. So just based off of his, Trouble socializing with adults. It's said that he could have been classified as having some some form of autism. So if you don't know who it is, you'll just have to find out next time and I'll tell you. But Alice in Wonderland was probably a big clue. You just go look at who wrote it and you have your answer. <laughs> I'm not a big reader. I, I, um, I used to be a big reader when I was younger, but I'm not anymore. But so I don't know. But, but I want to get back into reading. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't know that that person had autism. Yeah, it was just said because of the actions he would do. It's very characteristic of someone with autism because back then they didn't have all the tests that we did. And so just because he had trouble socializing, it was the socialization aspect. He prefers, yes. you know, socializing with kids, it was easier. Mm-hmm. And so had they had this test back then, they were assuming he would fall on the spectrum somewhere. And that was the same thing with Emily Dickinson. Isn't she it preferred funny how kids. many people out there are like that? Yeah. And you don't even know it. You wouldn't yeah. know. Do you sometimes think ab- that you are, that you have autism? <laughs> funny story. To be honest. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I have Asperger's. Um, it runs in my family and we did genetic testing on my son because he had an extra like strand of something on his DNA. And so my husband and I did the genetic testing, got a call that I have the same extra strand that my son has. And the lady said, that's actually characteristic of people with autism. So I have no doubt in my mind that I have Asperger's because talking to new people, I will put my foot in my mouth sometimes and then I won't know when to shut up. (laughs) Like if I'm talking about something, I'm just like, okay, just, just shut up. You've already said enough. You've already put your foot in your mouth enough. Don't keep going and making it more awkward. <laughs> but yes. social social situations, especially when they're new, are very scary to me. Like I have severe anxiety when I'm at a place with people I don't know. I'm mm. the same way. I already know that I have Asperger's. I am, so, you know, not- where'd you get your genetic Sorry. testing? Um, Phoenix Children's. Phoenix Children. Okay. Yeah, we actually met with a geneticist because we did our, you know, we did the testing through Melmed. The pediatrician wanted to do testing to see if, you know, there was a link we could find. And so Phoenix Children's flagged it and said, um, hey, we noticed some some abnormalities with your son's DNA. Can we come in and meet? And so they're like, well, we could do your genetic testing and then we can put it up against hundreds, thousands of different, you know, 
genomes and see if anything relates. So my son and I have the same extra little piece. So interesting. I gotta. I'm supposed. Yeah, I'm supposed to do a follow up, but they they can't. They won't accommodate my schedule. And as a teacher, I can't just take off a day of work to do genetic testing because I have kids that rely on me. So I just told them, I was like, if you want this meeting bad enough, you're going to have to work around my schedule because I'm a teacher. I can't just up and take off a few hours and then go back. So I'm, that's where I'm at right now. It's like they want to re- they want to schedule a second meeting, but she only works till 1130 every day. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So you're only there in the morning mm-hmm. till 1130. What about people who work like myself? You know, yeah, so it, it's hard. I have Yeah. Yeah. You can come see me, but you have to be available between this and this. I'm like, no, nope, sorry. You want this meeting bad enough. You're going to have to work around my schedule because teachers are already getting enough crap as it is. I don't need another reason to be hated as a teacher. <laughs> Did you have to get like a referral to uh, Phoenix Children's, like the genetics department? Nope. They saw it. They are, they wanted to use Rylan as a test subject because oh. they have never seen this mutation before. I don't even know if it's a mutation. Interesting. But they had never seen this before. Rylan was the first kid with this extra little piece, like literally just a little extra piece on one of the strands. And so the genetics department flagged it. My pediatrician said, Laura, they just, they want you to come in because they want to use him as, as a guinea pig to say, oh yeah, this kid's autistic and he has this. So if your kid has this, there's chances he's going to be autistic too. They just want to use him to say, yeah, he's fine. It doesn't matter if you have this. It just might mean he has autism. So we're almost being like test subjects. I don't like it, which is why I'm like, if we have this meeting, fine. If we don't, I don't really care because it's not going to change the fact that my son's autistic and he's 100% a fantastic kid, regardless of what his his DNA says. So I'm just like, I don't want this meeting. So if you want to make it work, then you have to work around my schedule. And yeah, I'm we're not taking DNA um, in school this this okay. this semester, and so I'm really intrigued with the DNA. And it's interesting how things are passed down to our kids. Yeah. So Jeans that's was what my made favorite. me ask. Yeah, yeah. that's what made I me love ask. Biology. Have you ever thought that we have autism? Because like more than likely, it, we pass it down to our kids, mm-hmm. and it could it's it could genetic, be a, for sure. It's genetic. It's genetic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Autism is genetic. My aunt's have much information on it um, in order for us to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was interesting to know that I share the same extra little piece that my son has, but I never knew because my parents never, never got me tested, never did any of that because I was still old enough where autism was not a popular thing. My mom, her degree was in early childhood development. So she kind of knew, you know, what was normal and what was not. And so she always sensed that I had ADHD and Asperger's, but never got me formally tested. So I wouldn't be surprised if I do. I'm socially awkward at times. So I prefer talking. I guess that's why I'm a teacher. I prefer kids. (laughs) I prefer working with kids. It's easier for me to communicate (laughs) with them. I don't know. In the same way, I talk with kids yeah. easier. Yeah, I might appear yeah. like confident with you girls, but it it's hard. put me in a place where I don't know you. I, I am not able to start a conversation with you. I start mumbling. I start umming. I yeah. don't know if you guys noticed. And it I'm feels awkward. Um, um, uh-huh. um. 
I have trouble looking people in the eye. You know, like when I'm talking to someone, I have to look away. And that's an autism thing. So like if I'm having a conversation, like a job interview, oh, Oh, those are hard because they're looking at you and I'm like, I'm not going to get this job because I can't look at you. I can't. I can't. It is so uncomfortable. I could do that with my students. Like I could mm-hmm. look lock eyes with mm-hmm. them, but when it comes mm-hmm. to adults, it makes me so uncomfortable. I'm like, not you're, you're staring into my soul. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I had, like I noticed that with my husband, that was the mm-hmm. first time it flagged. Like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe there's something wrong with me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because everybody's like, Oh, I look into my husband's eye and I could see this and this and this. And I'm like, I oh, it's can't awkward. even look at him. <laughs> even for our even wedding photos. I was like, are we done yet? <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm looking at my husband straight in the face and it's really making me awkward. <laughs> uh, oh, I have a video of my wedding and they're, they're trying to take pictures and they're trying to pose us of us looking into each other's eyes. And no, so I would nope. look at him, burst out laughing and they're like, come on, keep a straight face. And I'm like, I can't. It's awkward. Yeah, I can't. It's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's always been an issue. And I know that that's a huge autism thing. And then I have this other thing, like in the most absurd situations that you're not supposed to laugh. You're supposed to be straight. You're supposed to be serious. I burst out fucking laughing. I laugh like a lunatic. (laughs) 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 Does anybody hate the awkward silence too? Because I do too. That's why I had to say something. Like I can't just sit here and like there's absolutely nothing. I have to fill the space with something. (laughs) Oh, I can't gosh. do the silence. It's just awkward. Yeah. Like talk, say something. Mm-hmm. Is everything okay? Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I have so much crap going on in my life right now that I'm just like, I'm over it. I don't even get whatever. <sighs> well, Thank one of my know. dogs was in the hospital last weekend. And then I, I just, my sorry. little Yorkie just got diagnosed with, it's most likely cancer. So just make him comfortable. So he's sitting here staring at me. <sighs> with those big puppy eyes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He's a little Yorkie. Here, Ty, you want to say oh, hi? Man. He's my 14-year-old that I've had since he was a baby. And so, 14. you know, he's been having issues urinating. Oh, hi, baby. Aww. But, uh, yeah, he got his it's most likely cancer diagnosis today. Oh, so. no. So sorry. He's just going to live out his life. Oh, the other one's over here. This is the one that was in the hospital last week. Let's see. Come here, Bubba. Oh. Hi. Oh. He's so cute. I love animals. Me too. My big one is I'm a puppy. So like, he's two them. years old. Yeah. Hi, this one's going to hit hard because he's 14 and I've had him since he was like two months old. Oh, that is. Oh, my gosh. That's so baby right there. he was my first baby that I had by myself yes. without my parents' help. So oh, it's going to be tough, but we're just making him comfortable. He's still trucking. We're here. We're here to he's not ready yet. Well, he's that he was given a life expectancy of six months. That's the. The median life expectancy. So give him as many dog bones as he wants. Well, he was just Boy. eating my my dinner chips. You know, he's just sitting go. here eating scoops, <laughs> getting crumbs all over my bed. <laughs> <laughs> right, Ty. So that's what I've been going through. Crap with my dogs, but they are my children. So 
Oh, hi, Latte. I get it. I get it. Yep. I'm sorry. Yeah. It'll be fine. I mean, with Ty, I was kind of expecting it because he's 14. I mean, yeah. dogs just don't live that long. And for him to live this much, like people are always saying he doesn't look 14. So he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have any like white hairs yeah, or anything. Yeah, he doesn't. He looks pretty good. Yep. Ba-ba-ba, you look he just like good. his teeth. He's missing half of them. Oh, yeah. Latte, you're acting weird. Please don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, so he's my little bug. He's going to be hard. And then Latte, I thought I was going to lose, but I and I was not ready. So the if name, I can, latte. Yeah. latte. Yeah, I'm obsessed with coffee. <laughs> obsessed with coffee, latte. and he looks exactly like the color of coffee. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no one wants to see your butt, Latte. Oh my gosh. See, that's the one that looks like yours, Matilda. Yeah, he does look like mine. So cute. He's like, I'm not looking at the camera. <laughs> I know. So I want to look at these people. Whereas Ty's like, hi, everybody. <laughs> oh my God. Hi, Ty. You're saying hi to everybody. Yeah. Hi. Oh, they look like good dogs, My though. Old man. Yeah, they, they are. Do. They're really sweet. Oh, babe. Oh. Latte just falling asleep where he's sitting. Yeah, I have a cat and a sun conure. It's like a mini parrot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. And I've had the mini parrot ever since she was like a little baby. She's like three now, so. Yeah, it's tough. She could outlive me, though. You never know. <laughs> He's got his big belly because that's where the the mass is. Aww. Yeah, that's okay. We'll get through it, huh? You're 14. You've been super spoiled. You got to ride on the airplane when you were barely just two months old. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you. Let's do um, yeah. the quote really quick before I, we haven't done it yet oh. and we're still recording. <laughs> I have it on okay. my phone. Are we still yeah, no recording? One, if the, no one would be interested about my dogs. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and remember. Why fit in? When you were born to stand out.